Hi friends, welcome to Growing as Grown Ups, where we believe each of us has the opportunity to keep growing in ways that can fundamentally improve our life effectiveness, our leadership influence, and our well-being. Through interviews, stories, and practical principles, we explore how you can accelerate your growth and unlock your potential to make the difference you want to make. And now, your hosts from The Leaders Lyceum, Dr. Sarah Musgrove and Dr. Keith Eigel. You guys resonated in terms of like (laughs) your just passion for growing people. One of the early comments was kind of just the joy that comes from being helpful to people. And I think think our listeners will really get to experience that joy today in, in your conversation with her. Oh, I hope so. I just have to say one of the things I love about doing this podcast is that I get to meet new people. And and Kedrin is one of those people I have never met before. I heard her on her podcast, The Behaviorist, Uh and knew that she was an expert in emotional intelligence. And that was a topic I have people ask me about a lot. Clients asking me to help them with it. Um, people who just want to understand it more. And so I thought, well, let me just reach out to Kedrin and see if she would be willing to come on our podcast. And she so graciously agreed. So Kedrin Crosby is the president of a company called Work Wisdom that does a lot of cool work, kind of in the space that we do of really helping helping organizations kind of work on um, thriving and optimal workplace performance and, and really kind of in some of the softer skills per se of mindsets and behaviors. Um, she has a master's degree in policy science that she talks about a bit in the interview. And she has certifications in nonprofit studies, conflict resolution, emotional intelligence, has studied organizational behavior. She is like me in that she is a lifelong learner, it seems. And she really focuses on burnout, uh, work-life integration, authentic leadership, organizational culture, conflict management, um, really with a bent toward positive psychology and positive emotional behavior. So all stuff that I find exciting and fascinating and interesting. Yeah. And if I could go back to school and study it all, I would. That's what but we I need, just brought her we on. Need you in, we need you in school a little <laughs> bit more. I need a few more degrees, right? Um, but I just wanted to, to pull on her wisdom on emotional intelligence and, and why that is something that matters at work, why it is something for people to be thinking about and understanding. And so um, I think with that, let's just jump into the interview and then we'll come back on the back end as we usually do and share some of the things that stood out to us. Does that sound good? Sounds, sounds perfect. We'll see you on the back side of this. Kedrin, welcome to the Growing is Grown Us podcast. I'm so glad it has worked out for us to finally get you on the show. Um, I'm excited to get to know you, get to hear more about the work that you do and the expertise you bring. So thank you so much for thank giving you. your time to a random stranger who reached out to you and said, come be on my podcast. I can tell it's already future friends. So yeah, oh, thank perfect. you for inviting me. Well, I'd love for you to tell us just a little bit about yourself and your work, you know, the stuff that's interesting beyond the the credentials that you have, just how you ended up where you are, the passions that you have, what would help our audience get to know you a little bit? Well, um, so I've been doing this sort of work, focusing on coaching um, long before we called it coaching since about 1996. And so I I ended up in this work. Originally, I was studying policy science, which is how do we use 
economics, sociology, statistics to make the world a better place. And mm -hmm. I ended up leading several organizations and realized uh, that wasn't actually what made teams high performing. Uh, what made teams really high performing was culture, was emotional intelligence, connection, uh, meaning, inspiration. And so continued to go back to school several times in order to grow my tools so that I could help my clients become the best version of themselves. So I've always really focused on what we consider world changers. So people who are doing important work, going upstream to make the world a better place and trying to give them evidence-based tools and skills so they can have even greater performance. So, um, so that's a little bit about me. I think you've probably already shared my bio, uh, so they don't need to know those details. Um, but, but I just find a lot of joy and being helpful to people and then seeing their fruit uh, multiply as a result of our work together. Mm, I love that. I just love, I was telling you before we hit record, like how fun it is to find other people with the same passion of like work is not just work. Work is an opportunity for us to improve ourselves, improve the world beyond just kind of the checklist of I'm showing up, I'm getting a paycheck, I'm producing widgets, I'm selling things. Right. And so, um, I just love that you, you're in that space. Um, I found you through your podcast, The Behaviorist, which is really fun. So another thing I'd recommend our people listen to you to learn more about the work that you're doing. But the reason I wanted to have you on is that one of the things that you, you mentioned a second ago and that you really have devoted a lot of your time and professional effort to is this idea of emotional intelligence. And it's a phrase that, that I hear a lot um, I hear it a lot when people are labeled as not emotionally intelligent. I get a lot of uh, coaching clients sent to me with just the description of they need to be better with their emotional intelligence, <laughs> which, which can mean a lot of things. And so um, let me just throw that question to you. What is, what is emotional intelligence? How do you explain it to people of, of what it is and maybe what it's not? Mm -hmm. what role it plays? Well, it's probably best to start with a tiny bit of history. So yeah. Dr. Wechler was the man who invented the IQ. And so this was the measurement of cognitive intelligence. What can we remember? What can we regurgitate? Um, how much information can we hold up there? He always knew that there was a type of intelligence that he was not able to measure. And that is called he called it affective intelligence, a affective emotions. Um, so it was, it was many, many years after he was stumped by that quandary of not being able to measure it um, until the EQ was created. So emotional intelligence uh, is really measuring things that are different than cognitive intelligence. And uh, in short, emotional intelligence is really four things. So the first part of emotional intelligence is how we perceive and express ourselves. Obviously very important 
in the workplace. Probably some of those people who are being sent to you. <laughs> it's because they don't know how to perceive or express themselves. Um, the second part has to do with how we build and maintain interpersonal relationships. Also very important in the workplace. Um, the third part really has to do with how we cope with stress, which is why we're very much focused on, on burnout. Um, and the fourth part of the definition of emotional intelligence is really how we read emotional data, how we see emotional content in any problem that we're trying to solve or decision that we're trying to make. And then we weave that in a constructive way into our decision-making or our problem solving. And we, we don't allow the emotional content to hijack the decision-making, but we allow it to improve our results. So those are the four things that really, when we're talking about emotional intelligence, perceive and express ourselves, build and maintain interpersonal relationships, uh, cope with stress, and then weave emotional data into how we solve problems or make decisions. So what does it look like when someone has a high EQ, somebody who's really emotionally healthy? What does that look like? Is that a, a question that has an answer to it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is an excellent question. I'm not sure I've been asked it just like that. So I, I really love the way you're framing that in such an appreciative way. What it looks like is that person has awareness of what they're feeling in that moment. They might even have the language to name what that feeling is that they're feeling. They hopefully also have the impulse control, the self-regulation to tap the brakes and not act on that feeling. They recognize that they are not their feelings um, and that, you know, the horse and the rider, as Freud would talk about, you know, they, they can control um, how they're going to behave, uh, but they use that information to guide better outcomes. So it, a, an emotionally intelligent person shows up very differently in every situation, sure. but I think those are the those are the elements. They're, they're aware, they have the knowledge, they have the awareness of themselves, they understand how they are uh, emotionally contagious, they're managing themselves to, to resonate on their teams and make better decisions and have uh, better outcomes. So I, lo I love the, just the phrase that you use that people are not their emotions. And I think you know, that's something that I, I talk with people about is like emotions are real. Mm -hmm. You have them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they can, they can be really strong in either direction. And there's no, there's no good or bad associated with the emotion. It's whether or not you take ownership of that emotion. If you have emotions or if your emotions have you. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's a, a, you know, that phrase is, um, a good one to hang on to, I think, when people are trying to wrestle through this. Yeah, I think I love that you do that with your clients. We're always thinking about, I am not my feeling, you know, it's, it's information. 
So I like the idea of like seeing that as a gold mine and digging down in there and saying, hmm, I'm curious, what, what are you bringing me? And um, yeah. how can I use you? Uh, but recognizing that feelings or emotions are like the weather and they come and they go and they pass um, and we can invite them in and, you know, get curious about them, but they don't have to control us. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. So have you found that there's any relationship between age, gender, personality type? Like what, what are the factors that lead into somebody's level of emotional intelligence? Mm -hmm. Well, um, it's, it's not really related to personality. Um, it can be related to socialization. So somewhat how you've been nurtured, you might have been raised to have breadth of, uh, emotional vocabulary or to be reflective in a way to be emotionally aware. Um, but it, if you control for lots of circumstances like that, we don't really, we, we can't say, oh, women are more emotionally intelligent. They maybe have been sometimes socialized mm -hmm. to uh, pay more attention to emotions and how they impact outcome. Um, we do tend to work quite a bit with men of a certain age who were not socialized to give much attention to emotions. And so we spend quite a bit of our work with um, engineers or physicians. <laughs> uh, we have feelings wheels, uh, pillows in every, uh, every coaching room in our office um, to help them learn to identify mm. feelings, to grow their vocabulary around feelings, to learn how to name it, um, analyze it for usefulness and applicability. So, um, but no, I, I would say it's not, it's, it, we can't really attribute it to personality it, it and it's all developable. So IQ mm. is fixed. Personality is fairly fixed from about five years old. Um, but emotional intelligence is never fixed. So mm. we grow in knowledge. Then we grow in awareness and let that sort of seep into our being. And then we let it guide our behavior. Now that it's conscious, we can say, oh, I always went left here, but now that I know the thing, I'm gonna go right and see if I get a different result. So um, it's very optimistic. It's hopeful because it's not fixed. And that's one of the reasons why we think it's such a useful tool for people. That's great. So let's just go down that path for a second. Then okay. if, if somebody hearing your description of what emotional intelligence is recognizes in themselves, or maybe they've gotten some feedback from a boss or a friend that says, you're not so great at this. What kinds of things can people do to develop their emotional intelligence? Mm -hmm. Many things, uh, beginning with knowledge. So learning what emotional intelligence is, I think it's very helpful to go beyond that definition into the, uh, there are 15 
concrete, measurable skills. So learning what those 15 skills are, assertiveness, you know, emotional expression, um, interpersonal relationships, um, self-regulation, impulse control, things like that. So learning what emotional intelligence is and then starting to get curious about their own baseline. So where am I at on these 15 skills? Uh, ideally, you would have a, use the psychometric measurement, the EQ, and, and have a valid, reliable measurement, but you might have a wife or a boss or a coworker who can give you a lot of insight too. <laughs> so, um, you know, using them is important and doing a bit of a 360 on yourself, if you can, um, to start gathering up, okay, where do I have superpowers? Where am I kind of amazing? Um, and where do I have some growing edges? That also can be really helpful. So then once you've understood your status quo, where am I at my baseline, then starting to create a learning curriculum for yourself. So thinking about, um, you know, if I, if I in fact want to become more assertive or I want to grow in my, um, my interpersonal relationships, what new mindsets or behaviors or habits or skills do I need to drop into my toolbox so I become this envisioned uh, more emotionally intelligent version of myself? So, um, so I, I think starting with knowledge, what is emotional intelligence? Um, moving to a, st a status quo, sort of where am I at now? Um, envisioning this future version of yourself and then back casting into what's my learning curriculum here? Um, at Work Wisdom, we use um, a lot of work by Richard Boyatzis, uh, helping people change, intentional change theory. And so essentially we believe that someone needs to vision a future better version of themselves, come back to the present, take a realistic inventory of who I am now, then start creating this learning agenda, learning curriculum, then experiment with all of those new ways of being and build relationships around them so they have a support system to experiment with those new ways of being. That's essentially intentional change theory. So that's the, that's the method that we, we believe in. So good. I know um, he's fantastic. Uh, oh, there's so many other things running through my head, but I'm going to stay on track. So, um, is there a resource that you would recommend? And I did not tell you this in advance to come prepared, but if someone wants to learn the 15 skills of emotional intelligence, like where, where do they even start? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I began, um, by reading Daniel Goleman's book, emotional intelligence. I, I think that was 19, oh, I want to say 1985. I can't remember what year that book came out. We can link to all this stuff. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that is a fantastic resource. Um, then I think the second most practical thing they can do is pick up the HBR compendium of 
the best articles that they've published around emotional intelligence. So yes, there are some articles in there by Daniel Goleman, but um, really great ones by Annie McKee and lots of other people. Um, I think that's probably the best start. If they want to learn about the 15 concrete measurable skills, there's a book called The EQ Edge that, that really takes you through each of the 15 skills. It's, it's really a textbook that goes along with the, um, I have a certification in emotional intelligence, the, the psychometric tool. So it's a little dry, but um, it's really, maybe I shouldn't have said that on the air, but uh, you know, you can edit <laughs> that if you want to. Um, but, but it really does go deep into what does it look like when it's practiced well? You know, these are some of the tools to go, go deeper into each of the 15 skills. Yeah, that's great because for our listeners, what the feedback I get from people is we have some people that want the like highlight version and some people love the like going deep, reading yeah. the textbooks, studying it. And so to have a range of that, I think is, yeah. is great. You know, and no. you know, one more thing, Sarah, I wanna add to that since you're really focused on leadership, there are some books about emotionally intelligent leadership that are fantastic resources. So Primal Leadership um, by Daniel Goleman and Richard Boyatzis, um, and, and also Resonant Leadership is about emotional intelligence, emotionally intelligent leadership, how to learn how to resonate. So how to use your emotions to build positive contagion so that the culture really improves. Um, those are two more books I would say put on your list. Love it. Oh my gosh, my reading list is just growing. So this is great. So let's, let's go down this path a, a little more about emotional intelligence in the workplace and leadership. And why is that something that even matters at work? It feels like it's more of a personal thing. It's more of a soft skills. Why is that something that's important talking about in the context of work? So many reasons. Um, one is just empirically, um, emotional intelligence is attributable to between 60 and 85% of your success in the workplace, depending on what research you read. So um, that's one reason it's, it's, wildly correlated with success in the workplace. Um, secondly, the, the, the more power an individual has in the workplace, the, the more contagious they are. And I'm sure that you have seen this in your work and I'm sure all of your listeners have heard it too, but you know, someone with high power in the workplace, if they walk down the hallway and they're in a terrible mood and they're very grumpy, all of a sudden everyone's infected, right? right. Um, conversely, if someone knows how to manage those emotions and they walk down the hallway and they're bringing this positive best version of themselves, um, there's resonance and there's uh, joy and there's more meaning and there's more awareness. And so that impacts the whole system. So I think that's one reason why leaders really need to be more aware, 
maybe then even non-leaders about emotional intelligence. The, the third factor has really been exacerbated by the great resignation. So, you know, as we've been seeing, the reason why people are leaving the workplace has to do with two primary factors. There was a McKinsey report that came out in September that was pretty mind blowing. Um, the first reason why people are saying that they are leaving their jobs is because they don't feel valued by the organization. The second is they don't feel valued by their manager. And the third reason they're leaving their jobs is because they don't have a sense of belonging in the workplace. And so all of that has everything to do with emotional intelligence. Mm. So Which is so not, contrary to what people tend to think of. They're not getting paid enough. They don't have the right benefits. It really is. Yeah, not anymore. Less tangible things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like there's this interesting paradox, and maybe that's not the right word, of being aware of this emotional contagion and, and the impact that I can have on the culture and the environment in which I am showing up in. And also being authentic, right? Because I've worked with several companies that have what I call like the Disney World culture, where you have to come in and you have to put the smile on your face and you have to be okay. Mm -hmm. And it's not okay to not be okay. Toxic because, positive. Because we have to, we have to be happy and we have to bring happiness to the workplace. Mm -hmm. But especially with everything going on in the world right now, a lot of people are not okay. Yeah. And so how do you, how does that work? Mm -hmm. I love that you're asking that. Um, so work wisdom, we're positive organizational behaviorists. So we're interested in positivity. We're also interested in toxic positivity. When is it um, really damaging that you're shining it on and you're inauthentic? So what, what we practice is authentic positivity. So if in fact you're experiencing grief or burnout, um, anxiety, depression, any of those things, we want you to take care of yourself and we want you to um, own what you're experiencing. But as much as possible, be bringing that best version of yourself to the workplace. So just as if uh, there was some physical ailment, you would take care of that. You would see a doctor, um, you would heal. Uh, we, we believe in doing that with your emotional health as well. So seeing a therapist, um, seeing a grief counselor, making time in even in the culture of the organization to honor mental health, uh, so that people are, in fact, authentically flourishing, not shining it on, not toxic positivity at all. And that means that there are times where people need to take some breaks, and there may be some sabbaticals, and there may be some time off, um, but honoring that. You know, one thing I've been really fascinated and, and doing a lot of work on right now is burnout is so often seen as a deficiency of self-care, like you're not getting enough massages or you're not getting enough, you know, something like that. But I, I really think as leaders, we need to start reframing it as an organizational issue. 
So burnout, clinical burnout, when, you know, when we're thinking about clinical burnout, what does it mean for us as leaders to start caring for the whole person? Uh, caring for the whole person. So the three elements of burnout, of course, are the emotional exhaustion, um, cynicism, and the lack of professional efficacy. So as leaders, as the caretakers of our culture, can we think about what we would need to bake in to our mindsets and our behaviors so that we were caring for the emotional uh, well-being, that we were caring about enthusiasm and, and mitigating the cynicism. And we were building that professional efficacy so that when someone put effort in, they could see the results that were commensurate and they would feel that kind of joy that, that goes along with that agency. That was a rambling I mean, answer. <laughs> no, but it, like it, paints, it paints a picture of what I would love the workplace to be right? Mm. This envisioning the future kind of thing. Um, mm. But I have worked in organizations where I was working under leaders that did not have that mentality. Mm -hmm. It was a, you're here to show up and do your job. I don't really care if you're happy, mm -hmm. get it done. And so if somebody, you know, obviously for the people that are, that are listening to this, who have the the influence to shape the culture, do that, right? Care for your people and their mental health. What about the people who don't have that scope of influence, who are working in an environment that doesn't take care of their mental health? Are there things they can do? Or is there a point where you say, this environment is not healthy for me mm -hmm. and I need to remove myself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think the answer is, Yes, and, you know, that um, if we think about where you are today, you voted with your feet and you decided to move away from, from that environment that didn't value you, where you didn't uh, feel like you could be a whole person. And, and I think more and more we're seeing that. So I think uh, it is wise for leaders to take the long view and take care of their people. Um, if you are an individual who is in a situation where you have a leader who isn't taking care of you, I think then it's very much about boundaries um, and understanding um, how, how to behave if you really value yourself. Always thinking about you know, in burnout, very often we talk about self-compassion. I think it's more than self-compassion. It's what would I do if I really valued myself? What would I do if I absolutely loved myself? Um, and, then, and then doing that. And it may be staying in that job for a while uh, and making a plan. It may be staying in that job for a very long time, but having incredibly healthy boundaries. So you're taking care of yourself. Yeah. I think that's really good. And I think, you know, some people that I work with say, not only am I going to do that to, for my own good, I want to also try to help shape the culture. I want to be there for other people. Yeah. And, and I think some people that they, they don't have the strength to do that in a good way. And it, it can lead to some really 
detrimental outcomes. Mm-hmm. So what do you, I've worked with somebody once who was, was not emotionally intelligent, mm-hmm. who um, was kind of a, he kept referencing celebrity CEOs and, and people, well, I won't say names, I guess, but the, the celebrity CEOs who are kind of known for being jerks, who are known for being hard to be around, but who are super successful. Mm-hmm. And his argument was they don't sit around talking about touchy feely things and they're super successful and rich and famous. I want to be like them. And so in those extreme cases, is there a way to, to sell somebody on why it matters to think about a person's emotions, their mental health, creating positive work cultures instead of just focusing on the bottom line? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, um, you know, sometimes when we look at those seemingly eccentric, you know, uh, celebrity CEOs that don't seem emotionally intelligent, they might be. We, we don't really know what's going on there. Um, so they might just have incredible hubris, which makes them annoying, but they might be emotionally intelligent. It's hard, it's hard to say, but um, it, it's really, really so much of it comes down to, are you taking the short view or the long view for your company? And this is true with culture shaping. Uh, this is true with socially responsible business practices. Are we short viewing? Are we thinking about this quarter? Are we thinking about next quarter? Or are we thinking about next year? Are we like Patagonia thinking a hundred years from now? And are we thinking about um, not just, you know, who is going to be on our team in eight months, but who's going to be shepherd that shepherding this comp- company in 20 years. So I think that as, as much as we can take the long view for our companies, our communities, our planet, <laughs> we're, we're wise to do that. Um, and I think that uh, not only does that ultimately give us better results, bottom line, but triple bottom line, people, planet, and profit. Um, But it also probably gives us more joy as an individual. So so when when people ask you that, or people ask me that, I always ask, well, what's the goal? What's the goal? Is the goal about Q4 and the financial bottom line, or is the goal about 2030? Um, And And so I think that changes our perspective about what is important. That is great advice. And it's hard to imagine how you can think about the long view without thinking about the people in the ripple effect that your behavior has today. Um, So I hope hope people take that advice to heart and think about that and, and, you know, I just love what you said a while back about this idea of kind of understanding your baseline, getting the feedback, start watching yourself to see how am I showing up in this way? What impact? One thing I ask people who are struggling with this idea is to 
to go ask other people, what impact does this behavior have on you, right? If I am always interrupting you in a meeting because I'm impatient, what impact does that have on you? What impact do you see that has on other people? And, and start thinking about that ripple effect of impact. So Sarah, that is a great question. I hope you don't mind that I'm going to borrow that. I'll let you use it. (laughs) (laughs) But it comes down to this sort of the space between two people. I know Mm -hmm. the Japanese have a word for it. We don't yet, right? But, you know, that really so much of our relationships is this invisible space between Mm -hmm. us. So your question of how does this impact you when I'm constantly interrupting you? Is it diminishing this, the quality of the space between you and me, that interpersonal relationship. Um, yeah, I, I love your question and I'll be borrowing it. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Well, Kedrin, as we wrap up, what's going on in your world, in the work wisdom world that you are excited about that you would love to tell our listeners? Well, the, um, probably there are a couple of things, you know, we just, we just hired, uh, someone on our team whose background is sports psychology. So that's new for us. Um, and that's, that's interesting. We're focusing quite a bit on burnout. And just as I was saying, not burnout as a deficiency of self-care, but as a culture issue, how do we create flourishing cultures where we're mitigating burnout. Um, Probably the most exciting thing is our our new book that we're working on right now called Relate. So this will be the third book on Work Wisdom Press, which is all about how do we create healthy relationships in the workplace? How is that different than personal relationships? Um, So that's really exciting. That's what we're probably most excited about right now. That's awesome. When's your book come out? We have no idea. Okay. (laughs) Work in progress. Yeah, work in progress. Yeah. I think about a year ago, we thought we were close to being finished and then we were not. So, you know, these things, uh, they're born when they're ready to be born. Yeah. Well, keep yeah. us posted. We'll definitely share it with our listeners when it comes out and send people your way. So where, where do people find you? Where do they learn more about the work that you have going on? Uh, probably our website is the best place. That's workwisdomllc.com. But we have uh, quite a following on Instagram and our YouTube channel. We have a lot of animated shorts that we do about Ooh. positive organizational behavior. So yeah, probably the Instagram or YouTube or the website. And are you at workwisdom on Instagram? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll send everybody those links and and we love to help connect you with our listeners and our listeners with the resources that they are interested in. So um, that'll be great. I'm going to go check out a bunch of that. And my reading list has just gotten a lot longer. So (laughs) a lot under your stock here. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, thank you so much for being generous with your time. I know you're, you're a very busy woman and you're doing really great work. So Thank you for coming to the Growing as Grownups world and sharing this. And um, we will definitely stay in touch. So let us know about your book and other things you have going on. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was really a joy to be with you and learn about what you're doing too. So good luck to you. Uh, Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Sarah, way to go. Um, What a fun conversation. And again, y'all's resonance with each other was apparent throughout the interview. 
Um, I love that. The, um, I tell you, just, I think one of the things that really struck me was just Kedron's sort of orientation to make a difference for people to help use this tool of emotional intelligence to give them a different kind of self-awareness, to give them sort of steps to take to address all of that, right? I mean, it just, uh, I, it so fits with the growing as grown-ups theme, right? I mean, that's where, that's, and what, a, and what a great guest for this. What was the biggest thing in real time that jumped out to you about your conversation with her? Yeah, I mean, I think the phrase that that stuck out to me, um, and it, it's because, again, it resonated so much with the way that we talk about things, is she even used the phrase, like, emotions are just the weather, right? And I didn't interrupt her to talk about how we use this idea. I know, but I saw the smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> right, emotions, emotions are, the way she talked about it, emotions are information. They are things that we can identify when we have this level of kind of healthy emotional intelligence. We can look at them and say, what does this tell me about what's going on inside of me? And we even use it sometimes in terms of our growth gap tool or identifying frustrations as these kind of emotions tell us about something that matters to us. And then the separation of we are not our feelings, right? And I just, putting emotions in a, in a healthy, proper place, um, I feel like is, is something that is not talked about a lot in the workplace. A lot of times we want to kind of separate emotions, um, from we gotta, we gotta be productive, but this idea that she said that emotional intelligence really is related to our success at work. Um, I thought was really interesting. Um, so that was that was kind of the first thing that was just that stood out to me is this idea of emotions or information. They're just the weather. They help us learn something new about what else is going on. So, yeah. What about you? You just listened to it for the first time. What did you? Yeah. Think? I, well, I mean, I, a lot a lot of good stuff. I mean, to kind of build on the point that you did, I'm trying to find it in my notes, and I don't know whether I can do that quickly enough. But that people are not their emotions. Right. And um, I thought that was a really challenging thought to sort of wrap your head around for a minute that um, that 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 I am Keith. I'm not angry. (laughs) Even when I'm angry. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, there's a little bit of a kind of funny way to begin thinking about well, what does that mean for me not to be my emotions? And I think there's a lot of that can sort of challenge people from more of a outside in inside out as we've talked about so much sort of understanding of themselves to create that separation and I think that's why it so resonated with the weather and by the way Sarah I was so ready for you to go (laughs) off on the weather when she introduced the weather but you didn't way to go way to be restrained Um, thank you I think for me the biggest thing was actually not on topic to emotional intelligence I mean it was all tied into it but it was later in the interview when she started talking about the great resignation and that people, mm. why people are disconnecting from organizations. And obviously there's an emotional component to that, right? But this idea of leaving because they don't feel valued by their organization, by their leader, by, the, by a sense of belonging, and then, and then tying this sense of belonging into the clinical burnout you know, this caring for the whole person, this idea that there is emotional exhaustion, cynicism, 
and a lack of professional efficacy, feeling like you make a difference, which is tied into the belonging piece, which made me think of a book I just am in the middle of about to finish um, by a guy named John Worgen called Deep Learning, and so resonates with everything that, you know, he's a big Keegan fan, but he pushes it out to Oh, I don't know, Heifetz and Torbert and all of these other Peter Senge and, and all of these different people who talked about learning and how we grow ourselves and that this idea that we have to have motivation, which is driven by these things that she's talking about, we need to be motivated to grow ourselves. And in order for us to do that, we need to feel a personal connection, a sense of belonging a sense of efficacy in what we're doing. And for me, the conversation that you guys had, I, this is not on topic, I'm sorry, but it just knitted yeah. together a bunch of things that have been floating around my sphere for a little a little while. Um, you know, and, and talking about how are you, we've got a, you know, emotions are a great connection to our disruption. Uh, I don't know if that makes, that makes sense. I'm looking at your Tell face. Me, yeah, go it, deeper on that. So, so when we are having an emotional reaction to something, even if we're less sophisticated at naming what that thing is, we're feeling something inside of us and obviously mm -hmm. kind of the surface emotions of kind of anger or frustration or things like that. When it's really something different, like being not valued or you, you know that we when we when we're really feeling not valued but we put it into the category of anger it's like too simple right sure. but 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 when we're feeling this thing that we name as an emotional reaction i think it's a lot of times pointing to something it's pointing to an opportunity for growth it's pointing to a developmental disruption it's pointing to um a way that um it's pointing to a place that we maybe need to put a spotlight on in our lives and 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 do some thinking about and then and then obviously with people like Kedrum with a lot of the work that we do it's then there are better and worse ways to walk through that journey but that's where you know again I feel like I'm rambling way too much on this and I apologize for that but as the Growing as Grownups podcast, it's like paying attention to this piece that we don't focus on a lot. We talk a lot about frustrations or complaints when we get people into the growth gap tool, but, but, but these, this kind of emotional space is all, is all wrapped into this. And, and, and I love the way Kedron sort of knitted it together with the, with the great resignation and kind of what we're going through on a way bigger spectrum that's what just happening in any organization it seems to be almost pandemic in its own way um, across i mean it also reminded me of our last podcast with uh, Dwayne reynolds talking about how the work of diversity equity and inclusion is really giving people a place where they feel valued and like they belong right so there's what, an emo emotional yeah. element to that in that whole movement that needs to happen where we we learn to create places and that's where she was saying this is this is not an individual self-care 
regulation kind of thing that there's organizational yes. um, strategies that need to be in place that help people show up as a whole person that honor the whole person that value the whole person and help the whole, whole person grow. So yeah, it does, it um, all connects in. Really good. Anything else you want to squeeze in here before we let our audience go for this week? I mean, the other thing I've been thinking about is just kind of this idea of emotional contagion. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, it, it's such a fancy sounding word and it just makes me think of, I feel like there was some yeah. movie contagion about, I don't mean with COVID, it's a little too close to home, but just this idea that, 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 that the movie more, freaked a lot of people out, by the way, <laughs> the more influence or power somebody has in an organization, the more their emotional state is contagious. And so for yeah. people who are trying to have influence, what kind of emotions are they bringing to the table? Are they bringing joy and optimism and hope? Or are they bringing stress and annoyance and frustration? And, and how do we learn to be responsible for what we were putting out into kind of the emotional atmosphere around us? So yeah, um, that's something I've been thinking about is, is how do I show up even with my family? How do I show up at dinner? And what emotions am I bringing that will spread to the family? So yeah, and recognizing the influence that you have in those different roles is big. That's actually the part of the conversation that led into her talking about the great resignation, mm -hmm. which got me on this role. Yeah, so I love that. Um, yeah, really cool. That, that, caught, that caught my attention as well. Yeah. Well, Kedrin and her team are doing some really um, interesting work in this space. As she talked about, they've got a book coming out. Um, they've got a lot of cool resources on their website. Um, their their podcast, The Behaviorist, is fun to listen to. So um, for people that want to keep learning more about this work and, and what Kedrin is doing, go check her out. Yeah, go check her out. We, we, uh, you promised to put a lot of links in the show notes. So we've got some work <laughs> to do to get ready for this one. Yeah, we do a lot of books, a lot of, yeah, a lot of stuff. So, all right, everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode of Growing as Grownups, and we will see you again in a couple of weeks. Be well. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Growing as Grownups. Take a second and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and tell your friends. You'll find all of the goods related to this episode, including the transcript, videos, links, and other ways we can help you keep growing as a grown-up on our website, growinggrownups.com. Growth isn't easy, but it's completely within your reach. Until next time, journey well, friends.